politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow forgotten American patriots beleaguered under siege in an America that we no longer recognize. But you guys still have American liberty burning in your hearts and you want to make it right. Who is standing for us on this forgotten American day, the last day of this busy week, three weeks into the siege? You know what's interesting? I was thinking of a football analogy. You could picture a pregame show where you have two sides and two teams, and one team is really talking trash about the other side. Yeah, we're going to beat them. Oh, we, we're going to own them. It's going to be like nothing. We're going to blitz them on every play. We'll sack the quarterback. We're going to win this game. And then when the game starts, there's only one team on the field. And they're just running that ball, winning by acclamation. There's literally nobody on the field. I mean, it's not even like having the Cleveland Browns on the field. There's nobody on the field. This is what is happening to us. We have a Republican Party. Ooh, and a much vaunted conservative movement. All these organizations, all these media figures, Fox News, talk radio. And yet, when it comes to the most important time in many respects, likely in our, in our entire history, and that is not hyperbole, where every single policy of every single fabric of our society, civilization, culture, economy, liberty is being reset. And as Gavin Newsom, the Democrat governor of California, said yesterday, as we all knew, coronavirus is our opportunity to remake America in a progressive image. And they are there swiftly doing everything they can to use coronavirus as the ultimate global warming, but actually implement everything they ever wanted. So whatever they say is settled science, whether it means leaving mass transit open and closing every business and putting you under house arrest, massive surveillance, passing bills that will bankrupt us and distort our markets for years to come, fundamentally changing our relationship with between the American citizen and the government, whether it means anarcho-tyranny, as I said before, a mixture of tyranny but anarchy with criminals being released the police chief of Houston announced that robberies or burglaries are up 20% and assaults are up 90%, not relative to a baseline of zero crime, which you would expect during a shutdown. You're, you're going to have zero crime during a lockdown, right? No, no, no. 20% greater than the pre-lockdown baseline. That's where we are. Notice we are getting the worst amalgamation of every progressive policy it's not just consistent strong-armed authoritarian government no when it comes to illegal aliens nope there's no judicial review remember that much vaunted judicial review remember how you know we couldn't we couldn't freaking enforce our sovereignty in any way without a district judge coming in now their guns are silent except to mandate the release of criminals, mandate the release of illegal aliens, and mandate that the only health care that will be left standing in this country is abortion clinics. This is beyond dark. 
You had last night, Deborah Burks getting up there as Nurse Ratchet, lecturing the American people. I don't see that curve flattening. You're, that means you're not going. You're, you're going outside too much. We're going to have to lock you down. Where is everyone? Where's the grassroots? Where are these loser talk radio show hosts? Where are the Fox News hosts? Where is everyone? Where's your Republican congressmen? Where's your Republican legislators? Where's your Republican councilmen? Where are they? Why are they hiding in a time of trouble like this? Well, if you remember, there was literally one man that took a stand for the American people. They passed this piece of garbage bill out of the Senate. And this was Nancy Pelosi's bill. And it's not even the $2 trillion and the $4 trillion Federal Reserve printing money and the market distortions, although that will fundamentally change our economy forever. But the philosophy behind that bill that we are issuing a long-term shutdown of America with dubious, conflicting data, no transparency, we are issuing a death penalty on America as we know it. Shut up, take it. They, they, we didn't even understand the bill as it was being voted on. And now we're learning about provisions, about healthcare surveillance programs, all sorts of stuff, not just the monetary issues in it or the fiscal issues, but the liberty issues. We still aren't going to understand the fallout from it. And it was shut up. Don't even conduct a roll call vote so we could see the most important bill of our lifetime who voted for it. One man flew back to Washington and said, wait a minute. Don't we have an obligation to do our job, to ask questions? And if we're not going to ask questions, at least have a recorded vote. And he got savaged. He got savaged by the president. He got the full Jeff Sessions treatment. And, you, you know, what's funny about Trump, and maybe you guys could email me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Let me know your theory because I can't figure this out. Trump seems to be the biggest never-Trumper around. Why is it that almost like a fly on you-know-what, the biggest globalist, pro-Hillary Clinton, swamp people you could ever imagine are attracted to his administration? Fauci, the more that comes out about him, he's a Hillary guy. Burks was on the, is, literally sits on the Gates Foundation board and is promoting a Gates-funded study while Gates himself is calling for a lockdown. When a Yale study, a Stanford study, all sorts of studies are contradicting it. You have Kushner. You have every piece of garbage in that administration. I speak to people that are very in the know in the White House. And they're like, Daniel, nobody thinks like us on immigration. On I have a whole piece out on foreign visas, bringing in more foreign visas. Hey, you got to give this president credit. Go big or go home. When he does globalism, he does it bigly. Man, does he do it. So, I mean, we were told that if you don't support Nancy Pelosi's agenda, you're helping the Democrats. So Thomas Massey, Congressman, Kentucky's 4th District, when he stood up, took a stand for the people, and frankly, I was scared. I, even I was scared to do it. I advised Congressman, I was like, look, I, I agree, but you know, don't, don't light yourself on fire. Live to fight another day. But one man took a stand for the people. 
A lot of people were very scared about it. And now a lot of people are messaging me, you know what? He was right. And I think history will prove him right. With us today to delve into this and everything else is none other than Congressman Thomas Massey. By the way, thomasmassey.com is the website you need to go to. Just like you need to go to blazetv.com forward slash CR, promo code Daniel. Get thir- once in a lifetime, $30 off, 69 bucks the entire year, everything the Blaze has to offer. If, if we don't keep the lights on, there is no other outlet that is going to give this truth. So I need you to do that. I need you to go to thomasmassey.com and send a message to the president that we are only going to elect people that stand by the Trump campaign agenda, not the Hillary swamp agenda that's inundating your own White House. So no further ado, Congressman Massey, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on today, Daniel. Man, I, I thought I would never get off of that. I, I, I told you it would only be five minutes, but <laughs> man, do I have so much to say. But, but I think you have more important things to say. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, I told several of our mutual friends that are colleagues of yours in Congress that wanted to do what you did, did and object to unanimous consent. Look, this thing is the worst thing ever, but it's signed, sealed, and delivered. We don't have the power to stop it. You're just going to light yourself on fire. The president's going to defeat you in a primary, and we're not going to have you. It's not worth it. What, why do you think it was worth it? Well, um, you know, I could be defeated in my primary, and I knew that when I stepped into this battle. But here's how I got to where I got to um, that day. I decided that if Congress is going to be AWOL, if we're going to subvert the Constitution— if nobody's going to come to work and we're just going to let Nancy Pelosi pass the bill with one member in the House, then that's not a Congress I want to go back to. And then the yeah. other conclusion I came to was they're going to wreck this country. This is the first in a series. Actually, it's the third in a series of bills. Yep. And the next bills are going to be worse. I mean, listen to Nancy Pelosi. Take her to her word. She said this is just a down payment this third virus bill, just a down payment. And if they're going to wreck our country and there's no way to stop it, and if nobody will stand up, then I, I can't be helpful in that fight. So I decided, okay, I'm going to walk into this tornado. I know what's coming, or at least I thought I knew what was coming. You can't imagine having Fox News coming after you, but I had Fox News coming after me. Uh, there were some people who did take up for me, though, like Glenn Beck, Mark Levin. They took up for me. Uh, Ken Matthews allowed me to come on the Rush show and explain my side. Uh, Steve Dace allowed me to come on. But I'll tell you, when the crucible, when I was right there in the middle of it, I, I didn't have much support. I'll tell you that. No. And, and, and I think a large part of that was because people didn't understand what I was trying to do. And they also didn't understand my objection, and they didn't understand the precedent this would set if we just let Nancy Pelosi run the tables and tell everybody to stay home. Okay, so, and and I had friends texting me saying, don't go down there and light yourself on fire. Like you said, Daniel, we want you to come back. We want you to fight. And I think what what some of them missed was that I actually have a long-term strategy here or that there was a long-term need to go down there and be the only one 
on Friday. And that need was to prevent Nancy Pelosi from setting this horrible precedent. Kevin McCarthy was completely complicit in this, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. If he could avoid all responsibility, all culpability, all accountability, and if he could confer those benefits to all of the Republican incumbents so they'll never get primaried for voting for the biggest spending bill in the history of mankind— well, he was all for it. Let's just let Nancy Pelosi do it. They sent out an email. Everybody just yep. stay home. So I actually got in my car Tuesday night. The Senate had passed the bill. By the way, if 96, 96 old senators can, out of 100 can show up and vote, why can't we get 216 like the, Congress, like the Constitution requires? Why can't the House do it? So – I got my car Tuesday night at midnight because I realized that they were planning to pass this by unanimous consent. And I, I slept for an hour in a rest stop. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't <laughs> was get Was it mugged. like an eight-hour drive? Yeah, it's an, it, and there was, there was a roadblock, and it stopped me for about two hours. So anyways, I got there uh, right as the house was opening up Wednesday morning to make sure that they didn't pass this by unanimous consent. And what they cooked up was this plan. By the way, uh, Ken Buck was there as well. He was ready to object to the unanimous consent. And I said, hey, yeah. Ken, if you want to be the guy, you be the guy. I'll be happy to just have your back. But what they did, the leadership, knowing that there was me and Ken Buck and maybe some other people there, I don't know, who were going to object to the unanimous consent, is they came up with this plan that – they thought would placate everybody, but it still didn't satisfy the constitution. They said, everybody stay home unless you uh, want to come and debate. We'll have a debate. And if you're opposed to this bill, you we'll let you speak for a minute or two and voice your opposition, but we're not going to let you vote, but you will be able to record your opposition, you know, on C-SPAN. And we'll also have this little slip of paper you can fill out that says how you would have voted if we had voted. And we'll put that in the congressional record, which is a big scam. I didn't bother filling out that piece of paper. I think maybe 100 folks did ultimately. But what they did is they, they were able to provide something for people that satisfied a lot of my colleagues who were as upset as I was yeah. on Wednesday. And so by Thursday, I did something that I've not done in many years, Daniel. I let the whip team know what I was going to do. Like, I almost never tell the whip team what my plans are because they've always used it against me. And by the way, they used it against me Thursday. They had a 24-hour head start to vilify me. They leaked it to the news. They let everybody know that I should be the most hated man. They, they incorrectly yeah. vilified me. Uh, they, they mischaracterized what I was going to do. And they told me, they said, Thomas, if you object to the voice vote on Friday, you'll push this bill to Saturday, and you're going to delay this. And, and I said, guys, I, that's why I'm telling Which you Which literally now. doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I mean, I, even if you believe the bill is indispensable, yeah. it literally wouldn't, wouldn't have made a difference. It wouldn't have made a difference, but I was telling them the day before so they could give everybody 24 hours notice. And I said, look, that's why I'm telling you this on Thursday. So long story short, they realized they needed to quit sending emails to people saying, don't come to work. 
and they had to change their email to say, come to work. And by the way, my congressman at that point, this is when I knew I was doing the right thing and that their position would be hard to defend. Their objection to what I was doing wasn't based on any moral or principled uh, grounds or constitutional no. grounds. No, They didn't want to be exposed to the virus. It was all about them. They were saying, well, this, would, this could endanger us if we go to work. Now, I said, but you're telling the truckers to go to work. You're telling the grocery store bagger to go to work and to bring your ba- groceries and, and, to your car. And, and, and by the by the way, I, I just want to I want to pause for a minute. You continue your story from from you know what played out, but I just want to say you are making a very vital point there that just speaks broadly to what's happening. It's not just oh you know you're not going to work while certain people are you know going to work. There's a philosophy behind that. The reason why these SOBs are able to virtue signal on the cheap, like a bunch of cowards that they are, and shut down our lives and not just destroy the America, destroy the liberty beyond the belief, destroy jobs in the economy, but yes, destroy lives by shutting down almost every medical service. That's a whole nother thing that needs to be talked about. But the way they're able to facilitate that even for a few weeks, I mean, this can't go on for much longer, is only because they hide behind, oh, it's nuclear winter, we got to stay in house. Oh, well, except uh, those Amazon Prime deliveries are nice and, <laughs> and, and the supermarkets, because that's the only thing that could even keep the charade going. Otherwise, it would just end because you couldn't do it. So these ca- that's, that's the insidious game. Like, it, it's the same reason why it's like, you're going to die if you have a business of three people in an office open. Oh, but mass transit in New York City and, you know, and every major city could be open, right? I mean, that's the big lie here. But anyway, so so that's the thing. They, they were scared to go. Um, could you talk about how you weren't even allowed to speak, oh, yeah. which is a harbinger <laughs> of what was going to happen to all of America, that we are now going to violate every law and every clause of the Bill of Rights and shut up. Don't ask questions. It's indefinite. It's however long we want it to be. No legislative oversight of any state or federal or local executive decision. Um, just you will like it and you will be quiet. Yeah. If this was such a good bill, two things, I've got a question. Why didn't they let me join the debate and speak the truth? And why didn't they want to go on record? If it's such a great bill, they're all saying it, you know, it's such a great bill. Actually, everybody's speech fit this format. Well, the bill's got this problem, but we need to do something and I'm going to vote for it. That's literally what everybody's speech sounded like. And Friday morning, they could have held a recorded vote. Daniel, a recorded vote takes 15 minutes in the House of Representatives. Sometimes it takes two minutes, okay? We, uh, the first vote in a series is usually 15 minutes because it may take people a while to get there from their office. The second vote is always five minutes. It takes five minutes for 435 people to vote electronically in the House. And if there are a lot of amendments to a bill and we have to vote a lot, they shorten it to two minutes per vote. Okay, that's how long it would take to vote. Now, the sergeant at arms had come up with this procedure where we would vote in shifts, and we would yep. come in like 30 at a time, and he sent this to every congressional office. Yep. And, and, of course, and, of course, it was never a problem the previous yep. three months when we brought in 760,000 people from China since the Wuhan right. virus started. But, yeah, okay. So Friday morning— <laughs> 
they could have had a, let's say a one hour debate, which is typical in the house. I know that sounds like not much, but when they control who gets to speak, it's not really a debate anyway. But Friday morning, they could have had a one-hour debate and proceeded to a recorded vote. Instead, they had a four-hour debate. They started at 9 a.m. They went all the way until 1 p.m., and they had so many people there in the chamber. And I watched maybe 150 people grandstand one minute at a time. The president called me a third-rate grandstander. I contest that, by the way. I, I, I think that's completely unfounded. I'm at least a second rate, okay? I'm at least second rate. But in any case, I didn't even grandstand Friday. I, I sat there and watched everybody else do it. Now, the reason yeah. I had to stay on the floor is if they had watched me step off of the floor and knew that I was gone for any amount of time, they may have called for the recorded vote, which is their whole thing. So you thing. couldn't even go to the bathroom. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I did step into the speaker's lobby for about for a couple minutes to take a call from the president. And uh, like you said, <laughs> I got the Jeff Sessions treatment or the, or the Mark Meadows treatment. Mark Meadows is chief of staff now. But remember when Mark Meadows voted against yep. the health care bill? I, I tweeted that out. Let's not forget that Meadows and Jordan were called out for – helping the Democrats by not passing a liberal bill. So, I mean, <laughs> this garbage needs to stop. See, Thomas, I, I don't know if you remember my tweet storm that Friday. Um, you were probably too busy, but I was tweeting out a bunch of things. And the broader point I was making is that I don't care if you like Massey, the bill, this thing. This is emblematic of what has been going on for three years. That I don't want to hear this all Pelosi speaker, there's nothing we can do. Well, first of all, that should mean they get a third of what they want, not 100% of what they want. But okay, let's say as long as the Democrats control one organ, then then you, you have to give them everything they want. Okay. But – I mean, I know I don't have such a great memory, but it wasn't that long ago where they had all three branches. And there was someone named Kevin McCarthy, who was the House majority leader. And every single must-pass bill, every single budget bill, every single debt ceiling, every single border supplemental bill that, that, that would determine the outcome of everything. This happened every single time that the Democrats got everything they wanted and trump and the white house um omb in the office of legislative council they would never prospectively drive an agenda and say here are our red lines um issue a statement of an administration policy that we're going to veto if it crosses this line no it was whatever piece of crap pelosi would come up with in the minority or really you'd say mccarthy and mcconnell did it because they're all on the same team you know he would sign whatever you give him. If you have Thomas Massey's bill, he'll sign that too. And he'll say it's the best thing in the world. If you have Nancy Pelosi's bill, he'll sign it. And they'll say, if you don't agree to it, you're helping Nancy Pelosi, right? I mean, right. so this has been going That's on. And that was my point. Like, this this continuously goes on. And at some point, like, like Mr. President, what about all your China stuff and the China supply chain and deregulation and immigration? Like, don't you want to get your stuff like even if you're going to bankrupt us, at least let's solve some of the issues related to how this got into the country, how we're vulnerable to China um, once it gets into the country. But we got nothing. I mean, like 
Like, I thought, like, you know what I mean? Let's bankrupt our country but get, like, a good immigration provision or something. Like, yeah. you know, something. But, like, there was nothing in this. It was a steaming pile. Now, wasn't there also another problem that all these lightweights in this phony conservative movement, what they did is – and this is what they always do. So Democrats will say, all right, we're creating a surveillance state. We're taking away your liberties. We're shutting down America as we know it without any data and transparency behind it. Um, the Bill of Rights doesn't exist, and we're going to have some nebulous payment to Americans that's going to bankrupt us, but at the same time not even be enough to cover anywhere near what they need to cover. Um, and you will like it. You will pass it. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, a, but uh, if you don't pass it, you're helping the Democrats. So doesn't this raise the specter for an eventuality that – Whatever Pelosi says now, with Congress out because, oh, they can't step out of their homes, even though they should shelter in place in D.C., um, but they can't step out of their homes, right? So doesn't that just mean that Nancy Pelosi is governing our country country by acclamation? She is. And you know what they threatened me with? I can't, I can't even go through the threats and the inducements <laughs> um, Thursday, and I'll – you know, I'll just let the swamp be the swamp on that. Uh, but they threatened me <laughs> with remote voting. The our leadership, Kevin McCarthy said, Massey, here's the plan tomorrow. If you if you insist on a recorded vote, instead of voting on this bill, she's going to have a vote on remote voting, and we don't want that. And my my first instinct is, if Kevin McCarthy doesn't want it, I probably do. <laughs> um, and 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 as I run through this. I understand very well why Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi don't want remote voting. That was a fake threat to me, as if I didn't want remote voting. Look, remote voting is much better than not voting at all if you're Congress, right? And yeah. this is different from, from mail-in ballots because we're, we're not voting anonymously. We're voting on the record, and there's no Yeah, and it's a finite number of people. It's, it's not like you, you can cheat. 435, know. yeah. So – Anyways, they threatened me. Uh, our Republican leadership said she's going to do remote voting, and I was like, well, throw me in that briar patch. Uh, and it turns out – Isn't remote voting actually better? Could you explain to the audience oh, why it would actually work out better? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why Kevin McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi don't want it. Number one, you can't twist somebody's arm effectively through a phone line. You, <laughs> you know, When they're surrounded by their loved ones, their family, their friends, their trusted advisors – and they get a call from ja some jack wagon in Washington, D.C., trying to tell them you need to change your vote. It's not going to work. By the way, on the floor of the House, people walk up to you and whisper in your ear, you know, this is going to cost you your election. Or the NRCC <laughs> is not going to back you if you vote for this. Or you're, you're or, or, or we're going to put up a never Trumper against you yes, in my so, case, and have yeah. Trump endorse the never Trumper. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, you know, a whole litany of things or we're going to take your committee assignment they can't do that on a telephone because you could record it okay and so <laughs> number one it's hard for them to do the arm twisting over the phone number two if you were remote voting if you're a congressman and it's easy as pressing star one for yay and star two for nay okay why would what's their rationale for ever having a voice vote if it's that easy to register your vote how yep. would you do a voice vote on the phone would you a teleconference, would you call everybody up and say, all in favor, aye, all opposed, no, 
register that on your phone. Well, as soon as you register it on your phone, there's a record. And so they don't want a record. And that's why they yep. don't want remote voting. They also don't want remote voting because they can't twist your arm when you're not there. So those are a couple of reasons um, that I can see why they don't want remote voting. Because what you're talking about is a broader problem. It's not just the bill. It's that, you know, I've been really pounding the pavement for two weeks on this point now that, look, I don't care what you are, a liberal, a conservative, a this, a that. We have the most consequential decisions being made that intersect with every aspect of our life. If you're a legislator, federal or local or state, this is the Super Bowl. It's like saying, I'm going to talk trash on the cable sports shows, but then I won't even get on the field to play in the Super Bowl. Like, th this is it. If you're not going to show up to work, then resign. But what we have now is literally rule by the rulers of the country are every random governor and, and mayor or county executive, and then Fauci and Burks. That, that's and, and, and right. Jared Kushner. Right. And whatever, and Mnuchin, and whatever other Democrat. Hillary Clinton, globalist. Right. I mean, literally. I mean, Mnuchin's a Democrat. Kushner was a Democrat. Um, uh, Fauci is is you know was brought to tears by Hillary Clinton's speech. I mean, this is who's run. I mean, it's Orwellian. Um, I mean, I can't be more pro-Trump than he is himself. That's part of the problem here, and they're ruling everything. So you need a legislative body to say like, okay, like, dude. Um, you could totally declare martial law like the Secretary of Defense Esper is talking about using the National Guard to enforce um, the house arrest while letting out criminals and then not arresting ones that break into the stores that are forcibly shut. So like, hey, maybe when we want to convene a legislature and vote on some of this stuff and and like there's a lot of important decisions to be made. And yet they're basically using it as an excuse to say, look, we're going to die if we step out of our homes because um, we're all at risk. And oh my gosh, what are we going to do? There's, so, by the way, there's a third so th reason. This is very dangerous. There's a third reason they don't want you to vote remotely. When you walk onto the floor, when you walk through those doors into the House chamber, your staff is not allowed to come with you. But the leadership, each of them mm. has staff with them. And if you're a <laughs> committee chairman, you are allowed to bring a staffer on the floor. Now, these bills are big and complicated, and members have a you know, they're dealing with constituents, they're going to fundraisers, and they rely on their yep. staff. I mean, I rely on my staff tremendously. Of course you, and you're one of the smartest guys. You look through it. You're a good listener. We talk a lot together about stuff. But I'll be honest with you. I knew just broadly speaking this was a pile of garbage, but I myself had no grasp on really being able to take apart the specifics because it happened so quickly, and I literally do this for a living. I sit in my home like a hermit oh, yeah. and study this stuff and put it out. I mean if you're a member of Congress, you didn't even have time to see it. So, so what happens let – me, let me just finish this last thought pursuant to what you just said. When you walk on the floor – and you don't have that staffer with you. It's like leaving your smartphone, right? You, you immediately become more stupid or at least easily misled. And now you walk onto the floor and the leadership tells you, well, this is in the bill and this is what the bill does. And you turn to ask your staffer, is that really in the bill? Is that what the bill does? Well, your staffer's not there. And they love that advantage on the floor. It makes them seem mm. smarter. It gives them more control. Imagine you went into a courtroom without a lawyer. 
Okay. Exactly. And they lie. Right. And and they straight up lie. They straight yeah. up, they oh, will tell conservative you, members like, oh no, this addresses that. The, it doesn't really do they totally lie. You know what I tell freshmen when they first get elected and they come to the House of Representatives? I said I asked them, Do you know the difference between a used car salesman and a member of the whip team? And they look at me with a blank blank stare and they have no idea what I'm talking about. And I said, the used car salesman knows when he's telling you a lie. The whip team just believes whatever the leadership tells them. They've never even read the bill. So they don't even know when they're lying to you. So you can't even get mad at the whip team. I mean, it's just <laughs> their lack of diligence. Yes, thanks for laughing. That was a joke. But it's, it's, it's a true – I mean, it's true. So anyways, if you had remote voting for uh, congressmen, they could be in the presence of their staff and – in other words, they could have their lawyer with them, and they wouldn't be separated from them in the instant when the vote happens. Because so many votes get changed in that five-minute period or that 15-minute period when the vote actually happens, because leadership comes up and says, oh, you're making a mistake, blah, blah, blah. So that's another reason they don't want to have staff there. Uh, if I could just do a little math here, Daniel, because I've been trying to make this point. The Bernie bros should have been upset about this bill, right? They shouldn't have voted for it because this is the biggest wealth transfer in the history of mankind. This would make uh, FDR blush. The Roman emperors couldn't pull off this kind of plunder, okay? Here's the math. Yep. $6 trillion. That's how much money is either spent or enabled to be spent or loaned out or printed by this bill because the bill is $2 trillion and there's $400 billion that the Fed can leverage 10 to 1 to get $4, billion, $4 trillion. So they're $4 trillion plus $2 trillion, $6 trillion. Larry Kudlow, right there with the president at the podium, said this is a $6 trillion stimulus. Take $6 trillion and divide it by $100 million. Now, if you're using a phone to do this, turn your phone sideways because you you'll otherwise not be able to fit this many zeros. <laughs> so $6 trillion divided by $100 million is 60000 By the way, I'm using $100 million as a denominator. That's how many families roughly are in the United States. So how much money is being spent, uh, borrowed, loaned out, uh, printed, or otherwise obligated per family in this bill? $60,000. Six zero thousand dollars how much are they giving the families? Well, they're giving these $1,200 checks to each wage earner. And then if you have kids, you may get some more. But you can't expect to get more than, say, $3,000. That's for the families who qualify. And there are going to be a lot of families who don't. But let's say yep. every family gets three grand, yep. but they're being the government is obligating $60,000 on their behalf. That's yep, and, and and by the way, all the small business owners who let's say were making two hundred thousand dollars last year, um, you know, really serving as the engine of American small business, and then they literally lost their job this year. It goes on their last year's taxes. They get bupkis, whereas someone. And I'll say straight up like myself, I'm thankful. I still get a paycheck. I didn't get cut back at all, at least as of yet. I will get thirty nine hundred dollars because I have three kids. Um, so now you know. Now the audience knows I earn under one hundred fifty thousand, um, and my wife doesn't work. So 
you know, that's it, it just look, I'll take the money, but it's stupid. Right. It's just stupid to do it. It doesn't make any sense. But so I get the math you're saying, but how would you answer? And I think you're, you already answered partially, but I think you have more to say on this. How would you answer the question that a lot of I think colleagues that are close to where you are that are upset about this and they feel we're, you know, we're getting rolled, but they felt they were stuck because of the unique circumstances that government forcibly shut everyone down. So it wasn't a stimulus. It's a matter of like, Hey, you got to compensate people. Now we would have done it differently, but once, you know, Trump and McCarthy and McConnell get together in bed with Pelosi and this is like a take it or leave it, like how, how can we block the checks to the American people? So I did hear some conservatives and constitutionalists make that argument that this is, uh, basically a taking, that the government is taking people's livelihoods. And so now the government owes those people to re, you know, compensate them for the taking. And that's in the Fifth Amendment, um, that if the government takes your property, they have to compensate you for it. Now, never mind that didn't happen with bump stocks, but um, <laughs> anyways... Um, and no court got involved. There was no like judicial supremacy there either, but whatever. right. Okay. And it, yeah. So, but not to get sidetracked on that. Uh, so there's the argument that the government took it. So the government owes you money for what they took or what they deprived you of. That's a, that's a compelling argument to me, except there's one big problem. It was the governors who took your livelihood. Yes. In fact, I thought the governors would come to their senses when they didn't have enough revenue coming in because they've killed their own economies, that they couldn't pay their state workers, and that their state workers would show up to the state capitals and start protesting. And then the governors would turn it back on because the governors can't print money or borrow money to the extent that the federal government did. So I thought exactly as, as long as this feedback You break was, it, you own it. You break it, you own it, right? You've got the power to break it. Like I'm a Tenth Amendment guy. Go break it if it's if you think that's going to work for you. Give the give the states some flexibility there. But the problem is we are we are giving the governors a moral hazard because for the yes. governors who shut down their economies, we are saying we're patting them on the back, saying good job. Here's some money to keep everybody happy. Here's some money to keep your state going, and you keep up the good work which obviously I'm being facetious. It's not good work when you kill your own economy. There's going to be more deaths and more suffering from the reaction of the governors than there ever would have been from the coronavirus. But here's are the other problem. Are you able to talk about that, by the way, when, when yeah. you're done with this? Are you yeah. Able to, yeah, okay, you know so, what I mean. So here's the other problem. You've got governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida who were holding out and not doing the crazy stuff that the other governors are doing. But now when the federal government passes this bill, what choice does he have? We're telling him, yep. we're telling him we are now paying money to get you to do this. He literally logically doesn't have much of a choice here when the government is paying for them to do that to, and, and providing them all the political cover and Fauci gets up there and Burks gets up there and, and we're putting him in a box. So I think it's, I think that's what's broken here. You can't say, that the federal government can remunerate people for things that the state government took. Otherwise, you've got yep. this moral hazard. And, and, and that's what bothered me about your colleagues. 
And this is what bothers me about the thumb-sucking, nerdy, pathetic, conservative movement. Always. They, you know, they're like the idiots who when someone points to the moon, they focus on the finger. So it was like, hey, there's three cents of money for the Kennedy Center. Like that was the whole thing. And like, yeah, it was insidious. The Democrats put it in there. But like, dude, that's not the point. Or or the <laughs> thresholds of the cutoffs. Like, no, the, the, yeah. the fundamental problem with the bill was it was still early on. Yes, there was damage from a week or so of stuff, but it's a week or so. We don't have to do this to ourselves. We could demand and on the fundamental questions about the science of the virus, which is really the antecedent to this, but the bill presupposed and induced the shutdown. It induced it without asking any questions. Oh, we have to pay. Well, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, let's get us back moving. Let's solve this. Maybe we'll have to pay people a little bit here and there for that week or two, but but okay, we'll be back to it. But it that was the biggest hazard, I thought, oh, yeah. with everything that was being done. Yeah, we should have... You know, we could have <laughs> – there are a lot of things we could have done in this bill. I'm saying the bill, for for a quarter of the cost, the bill could have been a Manhattan-type project, you know, the, um, but aimed at the virus. When You know, I've always yes. said – one of the things I've said is, you know, when we were attacked at Pearl Harbor, did we, did we do a stimulus package? Did we pave roads? <laughs> like – did that make it has sense? nothing to do with stimulus. Yeah. No, no, we didn't do that. We declared war on the enemy. We, I'm. I think there's a federal role here to declare war on this virus. And and first of all, the first thing we should do is get some intel. We've got people making trillion dollar decisions on the crappiest data. <laughs> that I mean, this wouldn't pass for a high school science project, right? Your t the data oh there and the and the charts they're providing. It's already been debunked. I mean, every week, like, you know, you know, there's going to be 15,000 in the ICU in, in, in New York. Well, there's 3,000. You know, they, they've already missed every benchmark. And, and they're not – a lot of them aren't sharing their data. I mean, who knows what plan they're operating off of because I've asked Fauci. I asked him – I think it was yesterday we were on a conference call. What are the criteria for opening the government back up? Or not the government, the economy. Like – we're in yep. a mitigation phase. When are we going to open it back up? And what are the intermediate mitigation steps? And and his answer was unsatisfactory. It wasn't really there wasn't really an answer there. And I would I'd love for the White House to instead of putting us in airport mode, my wife calls it airport mode. We're literally it's like you're at the airport and they come on the intercom, they say your flight's been delayed 15 minutes, and they give you no reason. And then you're there an hour, right? <laughs> And now they come on and they say it's been delayed for, for another hour. And they give you some reason that's probably not the real reason. And then they come on and you're sitting in the airport. You don't know whether to go home to get in a car and, and drive because you could be there sooner or to book a hotel because you're going to be stranded. And then eventually they come on the intercom and say, we're sorry. Uh, they blame it on the weather. They don't reimburse you for your ticket. They say, they, they say go get a hotel. It's your fault. You know, it's, you're on your own. That's the kind of mode we're in. The government needs to, and and by this I mean the administration, to the extent they have data that they're making decisions on, they need to be open and transparent about that. They need to be transparent about don't it. Tell it, it us, just like, don't tell us Don't tell us the the dust masks, the N95 masks. Don't tell us those only work for doctors and nurses. Like, how freaking stupid is that? 
Like I under- the whole thing is dumb. I mean, and they're not answering like the Asian countries, what they did versus Europe. And we're following Europe, which is stupid. I mean, there's so many things. And, and look, I understand you want to say there's a nuclear bomb that's about to hit us. I'll get in your shelters. OK, so we go over and I find. But when it goes on three weeks and they say it's going to go on indefinitely. Well, I mean, at some point, the Constitution does kick in and you do have to show your work and we need constraints on this and we need oversight. And yet. Like, so that's my question. Yeah. Where do you see this going and what do you think we need to do? Because one of the things that I think you, you had a 40, Freudian slip there a minute ago, Uh-oh. you said government shut down yeah. and that's the irony. That's the only thing that's not shut down. Cause I was thinking, you know, all of us really have to worry about our jobs. I mean, like even I, I have a pretty safe job because it's all built on internet traffic, but, but actually it's not because there's no advertisers anymore because there's nothing to advertise. So everyone, everyone's going to lose their job eventually, except for what government. I mean, that is the surest thing. No matter what they will have their jobs. Shouldn't we at least have a bill that members of Congress cannot get paid until they start working again. And, and members of the people like Fauci and Burks and all their underlings can't get paid until the economy is moving. I love the idea. Uh, Let me, you said, so where are we going? Let me, let me talk about it in terms of the three bills that Congress has passed so far, because I voted for the first bill. Nobody ever acknowledges that, because the first bill responded to the virus, okay? Yes. And, and, and I thought that was the right thing to do. Now, the bill was wasteful, and it had like a billion dollars of foreign aid, and I really <laughs> didn't like it. But I thought, okay, we've got to respond to this virus, and there's a, there's a federal role here. It's like we're being attacked, okay? So I voted for the first bill. It was $8 billion, response to the virus. The second bill was response to the virus's effects on the economy. Okay. I didn't vote for that one. I thought it wasn't the right thing. The third bill was responding to the government's devastation of the economy, not to the virus's devastation of the economy, but it was to try and fix what the government had broken. Okay, that's what the third bill is. The fourth bill, and this may be a bill or it may just be executive, you know, edict. I am afraid, Daniel, the fourth government reaction, if we don't get unstuck off of stupid, right now they're stuck on stupid. They're listening to the wrong people. But the fourth, the fourth government reaction to all this is going to be to deal with the unrest with the, uh, in the populace that is aimed at oh, the government. Man. That's what, that's where we're going. Like they're talking but, about, but the why, why are we not seeing the unrest? Why are we not seeing the unrest? Oh, or is that going to come? Uh, because, because the grocery stores, even though the shelves may empty, they fill up the next morning. Okay. Uh, but when you go, but that the, can't go on for that much can't, longer. That cannot go on for much longer. The factories that, that build things, uh, they're about to shut down because the workers are already showing up like 70, 80% attendance. It almost doesn't make sense to run the factories that make the things that we buy every day. Okay. And, and the farm stores there. So I, part of my district is very rural in nature. And I talked to an owner of a farm store and he said, you're going to pay my employees not to come to work. And you're going to tie my hands, and then 
when they don't come to work, there's nobody to sell the seed and the fertilize to the farmers. And this stuff, like you can't wait until July to plant the corn and the soybeans, Daniel, or any of the other stuff <laughs> that we, the food we grow. You can't, spring only comes once every year. Okay. So there, what, there's going to be shortages. Okay. And we are, we're a few weeks away from the shortages. If the government doesn't get unstuck off stupid. And so the fourth, the fourth, and I don't even think it's going to be legislation because Congress doesn't want to show up to work and they're happy to let the, the, the governors be dictators and they're happy to oh, let yeah. the, the president do whatever he uh, wants as long as he's listening to the liberal advisors. I think the fourth yep. government uh, action is going to be an edict or law to deal with the, with the unrest in the population that's caused by a devastated economy and because, you know, i.e. shortages, that people are going to rise up and the government is going to crack down. Every step we've taken in this looks like something we've criticized countries like China for doing, right? We've shut down the churches, except for Ron DeSantis, you know, bless him. But most, like the governor here in Kentucky, but has de facto shut down the churches. By the way, he hasn't shut down the uh, abortion center in Kentucky, shut down all elective procedures, but not the abortions, but he shut down the churches. If you want to go to church, they're telling you to go to church on Facebook. Uh, and now <laughs> the government can know what everybody's religious affiliation is and how often they go to church and et cetera, et cetera. And then you're preacher may say something and facebook may deem it inappropriate yeah, I, I just want i just want our listeners to know i mean this is not crazy talk um esper defense secretary mark esper i mean it doesn't get higher than that he said tuesday to cbs news um yes that would be an option for the governors meaning to have this national guard enforce stay-at-home orders again the guard is active in all 50 states and territories i'm very proud of what our guardsmen are doing but we have a whole lot of more capacity out there in the guard right now to do more you know we typically think of national guard dealing with a hurricane in a state or a series of tornadoes and in this case right now we have 54 hurricanes out there and every single state and territory we know they're going to grow in size and in their power um, I mean, dude, like, think about like, this. I mean, I mean, I'm not making this stuff up. Think about this, Daniel. The Louisville police here in Kentucky have announced uh, a whole list of, of calls they're not going to respond to, like theft, your house is broken into, don't call the police. Uh, you know, Except if you shoot the guy, then they'll come and arrest the homeowner. But yeah. Yeah. Car accidents. So the police have announced that basically there's a certain amount of lawlessness that they're going to tolerate right now. At the same time, our governor just released a bunch of inmates. So now you're putting inmates on the street. Now, I don't know <laughs> what the criteria was. If they were in there for some for smoking weed, yeah, you need to let them out. But if they were in there for theft, and, and now you're saying you're not going to respond to theft, well, well theft, they're all being let out. We'll back up. Thomas, I, I, that I know affirmatively. Theft is – that is a no-brainer because they're even doing burglary, Okay. Um, okay. which is so higher than that. Yeah. You're, you're more up on this than I am. So, okay. So the, so the police aren't going to respond, 
And now they're putting more of these inmates out on the street. And to what you just said, they've just announced that law-abiding citizens, you know, can be arrested or detained for trying to leave their homes. And by the way, this this started a few weeks ago. This is like boiling. They're boiling the frog, and we're already up to 212 degrees. They The first thing yep. the governor did here in Kentucky is some guy left the hospital. They hadn't given him a test yet, or the test results weren't back. He went home, and the hospital called up and said, stay at your house, and, and I guess he refused to comply. And so they sent sheriff's deputies to guard his house what were they going to do to this guy shoot him if he tried to get in his car i don't understand but so 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 just so you know where this is headed and and just the hysteria and paranoia and hatred of humanity that they're creating here which is very scary the president of the philippines actually said that so he said those that are not abiding by the rules should be shot and Um, so yeah. yeah. By the way, there are people that wanted to shoot me on Friday because I wanted to follow the Constitution. There's some irony in that. But uh, <laughs> I, you know, I did receive death threats. But now and so now the police are going to and, and it seems a little bit crazy two weeks ago when our governor said we're going to send police and we're, and we're going to detain this guy at gunpoint. But now they're saying they'll do it to everybody. You don't have to be sick. You don't have to test positive. If you just try to get out and go buy something at the store they're gonna or or in our case you're not supposed to leave the state you can't i mean uh 14 of my 20 counties that i represent border another state (laughs) i'm telling you you can only go in one direction if you (laughs) leave your house which you're not supposed to unless it's an emergency but they get to define an emergency obviously elective procedures and, and are not emergencies. We're already seeing suicides here. You're seeing yep. those happen. There's this a- is President Rodrigo du, uh, Duterte, um, president of the Philippines. is getting worse. So once again, what I'm telling you, the seriousness of the problem and that you must listen, my orders to the police and military, if there's trouble and there's an occasion that they fight back and your lives are in danger, shoot them dead. Is that understood? Dead. Instead of causing trouble, I will bury you. So, you know, you say, all right, well, America is not quite like the Philippines. But, I mean, if it's gone this rapidly in three weeks that in a, in a million years I could never have envisioned this. I mean, I really never thought we'd come close to this. I mean, where is this headed? Um, the people are going to get fed up. The people are going to get fed up. And there's going to be shortages at the store. I mean, these the, the people who are making policies right now in government, whether it's the governor's or the people who are advising the president, they have no concept of how complicated the economy is and how beautiful capitalism yes. is. They're trying to do price controls. Okay, that's that's yeah. coming in space. They, they, they think they think goods grow grow like a tree on the shelves of Lowe's and Home Depot and Walmart and and grocery stores. And so and so when they when the appliance manufacturers quit making refrigerators, they're going to send people there with guns and try to get them to make refrigerators. And you're going to have lots of money chasing fewer goods. The inflation is going to go up. You can, ta- you can kill the economy by $2 trillion a month by shutting it down. But putting $2 trillion back into the economy doesn't make the food grow that wasn't planted. <laughs> it doesn't make the insulin get manufactured that uh, wasn't manufactured. It doesn't make any of those things. So 
unless and, and, and Thomas, that's change. what I said. Yeah, go that's ahead. what I said with McConnell when Mitch McConnell said this is a warlike level investment. I was like, you look at World War II. We 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 were out. We built everything. We built. They planted the crops, the food, and the ships. So you could call that an investment. Here, it's all in a black hole. It is a black hole. They're and they're still telling people that masks don't work. They're still telling people <laughs> we don't every. Well, of course, tested. because that would be the, the ticket to freedom. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if and, and a cheap test, if we could get a cheap test, this was the other thing that uh, I said the bill should have had in it that it didn't have in it. I'm going to guess before this is over, the tests are going to cost $10 a piece. OK, uh, but in Korea, they had them. This was a couple months ago. They had them down to $140 a piece. And anybody that wanted one could go get one and pay 140 bucks for it. Now, if let's say it costs $100 to test everybody in the United States, $100 times 350 million people is 35 billion. That's half of 1% of 6 trillion. So for half of 1% of this bill, <laughs> you, assuming it costs $100, and it doesn't cost $100 to test somebody, in that kind of scale, you could have tested everybody and then you could, yep. and you could do it multiple times. I have small business owners who tell me all I need is a test. And when the employee comes, shows up for work, I'll buy the test. I'll pay for it and I'll test them. And if they're yes. good, they can work yes. today. If they're not, they go home. Yes. And, and if we're going to be fascist, at least be fascist, just in one move, mandate a test and then you could open everything up instead of having fascism at every level of our lives and economy in perpetuity, and you're not even solving any problem. This is the biggest mistake in, in the history of this country. I yes. said it. I said it on air. I said it to cameras. I'll say it again. And Daniel, if you go to look, there's nobody on record. Nobody. There was not a recorded vote. Uh, Pelosi was trying to help, was trying to save her incumbents in their primaries. Kevin McCarthy was trying to save his incumbents in, in his primaries by telling them that they won't be accountable, they don't have to go to work. And here's the ultimate proof of that they were trying to hide from the vote. I made them come to Congress with Article One, Section Five, which says you have to have at least half of Congress there to do business. By quoting that. The parliamentarian agreed with me. They the Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy conceded the point, and they got everybody's ass to Washington D.C. Now it wasn't everybody, but I'm I'm satisfied they had a quorum. At that point, all they had to do was vote. It, yep. And a vote normally takes 15 minutes. It might have taken a couple hours by coming in a 30 at a time, but instead of voting, they did a four-hour debate with everybody in the room. And then, <laughs> then brought everybody in the room to prove there was a quorum because that's the only way I could force the recorded vote on them is if they didn't produce a quorum. And they denied a recorded vote. And even though they had the people there, enough people to vote, they wouldn't let the vote happen. Here's how remarkable that is. In the seven and a half years I've been in Congress, I've never been denied a request for a recorded vote, and I've never seen anybody denied a request for a recorded vote. I don't know how far you back you'd have to go. It yep. might be decades to find where somebody was denied yep. a, a request for a recorded vote.
Exactly, because at the end of the day, it wasn't the means, it was the ends. It had nothing to do with logistics, as you just proved in multiple ways. They don't want accountability, and it's a reflection of the broader thing. It's not about the fear of the virus and the death and the science and models. They <laughs> want the tyranny as Governor Gavin Newsom let the cat out of the bag. This is our opportunity to remake America. We understand the Democrats. What the hell is the agenda of the Republicans and the president? We don't know. But Thomas, thanks for joining us. I know you got to run. ThomasMassey.com, folks. Put your money where your mouth is. Every Congress is like, I'm going to fix the broken Congress. And then precisely when it comes time to do that, they run away like cowards. One man didn't. You need to remember that. ThomasMassey.com. Folks, have a terrific weekend. Send the show to 100 of your friends and relatives quarantined under house arrest let's get this country moving again god bless y'all